I, I do love those video analysis. Not often we see all of kind of Dylan and Morgan. We normally just see the upper body. And, uh, and the problem is that I'm looking at that, and I'm so distracted by how Dylan, every time he talks, his toes do that. <laughs> Did you know that? Your toes keep doing that. I was so distracted that I wasn't paying attention to what he actually said. Now, <laughs> there's a point why I'm saying this. It's not really about Dylan, which is that I believe today God wants to do something with you, and I need you to pay attention. I believe that God wants today to take you and reorganize your life around Jesus and his kingdom. Now, to do that, here's what I'm asking from you. Right? I'm asking you to be present, not just physically. Be in the room with me. For the next 20 minutes, I want you to be present, which means here's a minor detox for you. If you are distracted by your phone, can I ask you to switch it off? Because I promise you that at a crucial moment, you will get that SMS, which will cause your phone to vibrate like Dylan stores, and you will not pay attention. So if you are that person who's distracted by your phone, switch it off. The other thing, I love the fact that Jesus, in his time of ministry, I find nothing in Scripture that says he ran from place to place. He walked. He didn't seem to be in a hurry. Ministering, he's on his way to heal a little girl. He stops and has a conversation with a woman who needed to hear his voice. He's on his way following, with a large crowd following to get to a point, but he hears a blind beggar calling him, and he stops. He pays attention, even though the world is saying, stop, the master is busy, stop shouting. And he says, no, no, I'll pay attention. Jesus is not rushed, and I don't want you to feel that you need to rush away from here today. 20 minutes is what I'm asking. And I'm promising you this. God will do business with you if you're paying attention. What is my promise to you? I promise you that I will place whatever God has placed on my heart before you. And I'll get out of the way and allow the Holy Spirit to move. That's my desire. Are you in agreement with me? Yes. Good. If that's you, right? And don't please. This is between you and God. I'm going to pray and ask God to do business with us. If you're keen for that, if you're excited about that, if you're anticipating something, can I ask you to close your eyes as we pray together? I surrender. Lord, I'm not in a hurry. I'm not in a rush. I'm here for you. This is not some religious obligation. I'm here to hear you. I'll pay attention. To echo the words of your servant, Lord. Speak. I'm listening. Speak, Lord. I'm listening. Every distraction are laid down. Every care, every concern, every worry, I place it at your feet, Lord. You are sovereign over all things. 
and you love me. And I'm here to pay attention. Lord, take this text today as we look at it. Holy Spirit, would you grace my lips, Lord. Anoint them, Lord. Salt them. Let life come because they're your words I speak. Let life flow, Lord. Waiting here for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I've got a chunky bit of text I want to read right at the top that sets the tone for where we're going. And it's found in the book of Acts, starting from chapter 8 and verse 14. Now, you remember we started this. Interestingly, we started this series on Acts with an hour of worship. And uh, what a time that was. And from that space, we've remained in a posture of listening to God, saying, Lord, we are ready for what you want to do. But we don't want to get up and run. I love uh, Robert sharing with us the other day. He says, everything in him wants to get up and run. It takes discipline to sit and wait for God. But can I add to that? When God says move, don't sit and wait. Move. And today, he might be calling you to move. And we'll talk about that a little bit. Here's the text from verse 14, chapter 8 of Acts. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the goal of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Can I say this to those of you who are online, welcome to you. I do wish that you were here in the room with us. I do wish. There's something God does among the gathered believers that is unique and wonderful. Now, we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I am convinced that while you are not here, God is there. And so I want you also, if you're in your pajamas, please prepare yourself. Be ready. You're coming into the presence of God. Ask God to meet you today. In your living room, do not allow distraction to creep in. We're looking at a very unique text today. What's unique about this text is that there is this pivotal moment in the life of the church. You'll remember from last week that persecution has taken place in Jerusalem. Philip, who was a peer and one of the deacons along with Stephen who'd been killed in Jerusalem, has now moved to Samaria. Now, Samaria is not really too far down the road. It's from what I understand about 60, a little over 60 kilometers down the road. So he's just moved over there, right? And he's still busy doing the very thing that caused persecution in Jerusalem. He's still preaching the gospel. The fact that he's just a few kilometers around down the road didn't mean that now he's safe. 
He could still be in danger, but that didn't prevent him. And he's doing that. He's busy doing that. The Samaritans were an interesting group of people. The Jews didn't like them very much. They were Jews who had uh, kind of mingled with Gentiles. They'd married Gentiles. And so they were seen as kind of half-breed, half-caste, or lesser than Jews. And the Jews had no time for them. They had uh, little regard for them. In fact, when Jesus kind of broke the mold on that, by traveling through Samaria on ministry, it surprised and shocked the disciples. Why would you want to do this? These people are not proper. They're not right. right? It's uncomfortable being a disciple of Jesus because he says, follow me, and then he leads us into some pretty uncomfortable places. But he breaks the mold on that. And then the same disciple, John, who we find in this text, is with Jesus before and there's a Samaritan village that has not received them. And he says, can we call down fire and destroy them? So you can see that they really didn't think much of the Samaritans. So the Samaritans were this group of people that were living between two worlds, the Jews and the Gentiles, accepted by neither. Uh, and so that's the place that Philip finds himself. Now, he goes there and he preaches the gospel. And something wonderful takes place. They receive the gospel. Philip is a man who's operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's signs and wonders and miracles. They receive the gospel. And there is this fledgling church emerging in Samaria. And it attracts the attention of the apostles. I'm not quite sure. I like when I'm, when I'm reading scripture, I like to kind of put myself in their shoes and try to figure out, well, how they have felt about that. And I can imagine like they're discussing this. No, 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 no. God, God's got nothing to do with these people. Really? Samaritans? And yet, they're curious because something's happening. And so they sent Peter and John across. See, this was a pivotal moment in the history of the church. Until this point, the Jews saw a Jewish Messiah. They didn't see anything beyond themselves. And God was busy showing them something, saying, no, no, this kingdom must extend beyond you to the Gentile world. Now, the miraculous signs that we see and hear of in this text and the joy that flows clearly speaks to the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as the Samaritan people received the word, as they responded it, we find that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in them. This is what it means to be born again. We use language that sometimes is perhaps to a lay person thinking, well, being born again, what does that mean? It simply means that you've allowed the Holy Spirit of God to enter your life. They received Him, and now the abiding presence of God in the Holy Spirit is in them. Their eternity, their eternal security is set. It's secure in the hands of God. However, God doesn't stop there. He does something even more remarkable. When the apostles arrive, they lay hands on the Samaritan believers, and we find that there is this wonderful thing that takes place. Now, it's interesting that Luke doesn't quite describe what that thing is. We find that they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and there was something that took place even as they're filled with the Holy Spirit. That was how Michael Eden describes it as conscious, obvious, and visible. Luke makes no attempt to describe it, but we are told that Simon saw something. He saw something. He saw something and he wanted it for himself, in fact. He adopted the wrong means, 
But he wanted it because he saw something of God's power on display. Now, I don't quite understand why God would choose to withhold the baptism of the Holy Spirit until that point. Perhaps the apostles needed to see that God was receiving non-Jews into his kingdom. Maybe they needed to see that. Maybe they needed an adjustment in their perspective and their heart. We don't see that. But it is the testimony of many, myself included, that there are times when I have given my life to Jesus, and this is true of myself, and I have received the Holy Spirit, the abiding presence of God, and I am saved, I'm born again, but I have received a baptism of the Holy Spirit later, and it is distinctive. It's a distinctive moment that, like Michael Eaton says, it is obvious, it is visible, and it is conscious. I gave my life to the Lord when I was 12 years old. I remember the moment um, when I was in the southern part of Sri Lanka. I was 12 years old at a church, uh, at a school student Christian movement camp, and recently I had the privilege of meeting the man who led me to the Lord. And uh, he tells me, I've been following your exploits and adventures on Facebook. I didn't even know he was on Facebook with me. I'm not that much of a Facebook person. But uh, it was wonderful to meet him. He leads a church in Sri Lanka now. He was a youth leader. And, uh, and I do love the fact that he led me to the Lord. But nine years later, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Nine years later. And then I arrived in Dubai. And guess what? It happened again. And I'm thinking, wow. Now let me be clear here. I am talking about something distinct and separate from the moment of salvation. See, when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's not a change in status. When you receive Jesus, you're already a child, a son or a daughter of God. Receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit does nothing to change the status. There is no hierarchy. There is no suddenly I'm a better Christian. There is nothing like that here. In fact, Paul right in the Romans says this when you respond to, in faith to the gospel. He says, when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the accompanying promises you will be saved. And friend, that might be you today. I'm not quite sure where you are in your faith journey, but if you've never made that confession, if God is stirring something in your heart today, please don't leave the room empty-handed. He wants to put life in your hands. Not just an average, mundane existence, but true life, eternal life. And when you do that, when you make that confession, when you believe, you receive the abiding presence of God in your heart as a guarantee, as a seal, as eternal security. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a demonstration of the manifest presence of God. There's something visible that takes place in it. In my personal experience, it's often been marked either by people speaking in tongues or perhaps falling down under the weight of God's glory and presence. And uh, while I'm wary of excess, because I have seen that too, right? I can say this, that I can't put a boundary or a limit to how God works. He's sovereign. He can choose to work any way. And I've seen people crying. I've seen people laughing. 
I have seen people just being shaken under the power of God. I remember once uh, I was in worship and I was with my arms stretched out and my, my hand was going like that. It was just shivering like that. And someone came and said, wow, you must have been really enjoying the presence of God. And I said, no, actually, I was just tired. My muscles were weak after just being like this, worshiping God. That's all that was happening. But I have seen people just uncontrollably shaking because God was moving in their lives. The point is this. God is sovereign. He can choose to do whatever He wills in you to manifest His presence. So if you've been looking at someone and saying, I didn't get that. It doesn't matter. God might be doing something else with you. Now, I want to do, take a few moments just to talk about Simon the Magician. Here, see, the point and the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit must be taken into account. Simon saw something that he thought will gain him. He was thinking, there is profit in this. Remember, he's a magician. He's thinking, if I can do this, man, I can make some money. Right? And we see the instant rebuke that he gets from Peter. If there's any profit to be found in receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is in a deeper, more intimate prayer life and walk with Jesus. That's your profit. But the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is clear from the words of Jesus. Stay in Jerusalem. You will receive power to be my witnesses. See, when we receive the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we can't help ourselves. We begin to reflect His glory because it oozes out of us. Such is the power of God that overtakes your life and you can't help it. And, and you're thinking, I, I want to do more. But God is saying, no, no, I will do it. You just allow me to work through you. Theologian and author Henry Blackaby in his book, Experience in the Spirit, The Power of Pentecost Every Day, he puts it like this. He says, will God ever ask you to do something you're not able to do? The answer is yes all the time. It must be that way for God's glory and kingdom. If we function according to our ability alone, we get the glory. If we function according to the power of the Spirit within us, God gets the glory. And He wants to reveal Himself to a watching world. And friends, He wants to reveal Himself through you. He wants to reveal Himself through me. Are we ready to surrender. Because here's what's required here. What's required is a posture of surrender, of expectancy, of a faith that is ready. I love that language of uh, what Rob shared earlier about salt in our mouths. Would you do this with me? Would you kind of go like you're tasting something? Can you taste the salt? Does it make you thirsty? Because I want us to be that. I want us to be waiting for God and saying, Lord, here I am, surrendered in a posture of waiting. And, and I love the line in the song that says, desperate for you. This is not a desperation born out of, oh, please help me out of this, or I'm in that trouble, or give me that uh, promotion or whatever. It's not that. This is a desperation just to be found in God's presence, just to feel the power of God flowing through you. There is a beauty that is indescribable in that moment. And God wants to do that for you today. If you're part of the Connect group last week, you would have been part of the new series on miracles that kicked over Jesus turning water into wine. 
And uh, while we talked about water into wine as the super abundance of God, the overflowing joy of God, what He wants to do in you, Scripture also points to wine as representative of the Holy Spirit and says God is desiring to pour out a new wine. And I'm convinced today that God is doing something new in the church, not just here, not just the church local, but the church global, the universal church of God. I believe He wants to do something and pour out His Spirit. But is the wineskin ready? Is your life and mine ready? Are we in a posture of Lord? Because sometimes we expect God to move in a particular way. And because we are waiting here to see that somebody didn't hear me right at the start. Is that my phone? No. <laughs> right. If we are waiting and watching here thinking, God, this is how you're going to do it, we might well miss what he's doing here. Well, I was praying, I felt God say this. I felt God say this. I don't change my nature. My character never changes. I am faithful to the end. My mercies are new every morning. I'm unchanging, but my methodology can change. I can change how I do what I do. And so don't expect God to always do things that we've, expect, that we've seen Him do. He might do something new. The question is, how is the wineskin of our heart? Are we just in a place of, Lord, here I am? Because the wineskin is a flexible thing. It takes the shape of the wine. And he wants to shape your life and mine. Are we ready for that? See, much like it is, the, when we did this series on miracles, uh, the Reverend Doug Pondo writes this on, uh, on, the, on the matter of miracles. And he says, the miracles of Jesus are not so much supernatural violations of natural order as their supernatural restorations to nature ordered rightly. See, friends, the miraculous is not an aberration or an exception. It is meant to be the norm. It is meant to be the hallmark of Christian life. And the same is true of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The manner in which the Holy Spirit is poured out, we are meant to receive that and receive that and receive that. I can't live on yesterday's mercy. I can't live on yesterday's grace. I want fresh mercy, fresh grace, fresh revelation to keep this life of mine in line with the plans and the will of God, I, I get bored easily. Uh, if you ask my wife, at any given time, I read about four or five different books because well, depending on my mood. Um, I'm very disciplined that it's terrible when you're trying to study because you... But uh, I want that my life is always God. What are you doing now? I want to be ready for that. But if I expect God to just move one way, then I might miss what he's doing today. See, we see Peter and John going to the temple, and there's a lame man. They heal him, and they're preaching the gospel. They're brought before the council, and the council doesn't know what to do with this because they've not seen this before. The lame man is standing right there, so there's very little they could say or do because how do you refute that? When God moves, there's no dispute. And so what did they do? They threatened them and said, do not preach this because they're preaching a Christ who's risen. Well, these guys are saying, no, we crucified him. So they threatened the, the apostles and say, you do not preach this Christ, go away. So they go back and what do they do? They go to their friends and they say, would you pray with us? And what did they ask for? They said, give us the courage to preach 
the gospel boldly. And they said, as we do that, how do you like this for a daring prayer? As we preach, would you do signs and wonders and miracles? Would you move as we, as we preach? And you know what happened at that point when they prayed that prayer? It was like Melbourne a couple of days ago, earthquake time. The room shook. The room shook. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke in tongues. You can imagine them worshiping with joy and exuberance and excitement because God was pouring His Spirit. But these are the same guys who received the baptism of the Holy Spirit before. So God can do it again. And I'm saying that to you not because the text says it alone. I'm saying it because I've experienced it. And I'm hungry for it again and more. In Ephesians, Paul writes to the believers there. He writes to the church in Ephesus and he says, don't be drunk with wine, rather be filled. And that word filled is in the present continuous sense. Be filled and keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that word is still true for you and I today. Friends, this is God telling you, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Dorcas, can I get you up here? I love that Dorcas ministers to the Lord in music. And we get to enjoy that. While that's happening, here's what I'm going to do. In a few moments, I'm going to invite you to step up here and say, Lord, I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to do. We're going to give you an opportunity to experience this very thing that we see happening here in this narrative. Now, perhaps you're sitting there thinking to yourself, you know what, I'm not the greatest guy or greatest gal in the world. I messed up. I stuffed it up last week. I don't feel like I'm connected to God. It doesn't matter. Because this is not about being perfect. This is about surrender. If you're saying, Lord, I'm going to surrender to you today, would you do something in me? Don't disqualify yourself. Come up and receive prayer. Perhaps you're the one who's done this before. You've come up for prayer and you've, had, you've been full of faith and nothing happened. Don't give up. Don't give in. It was nine years after I gave my life to the Lord that I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Don't give up. Today might be the very day that your expectant faith encounters a supernatural move of God and something wonderful takes place. Don't give up. Come right up here. We'd love to pray for you. Perhaps you're the one sitting there thinking, I've had this before. Can I remind you of the text we looked at? Receive it again and again and again. doesn't matter if you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you're feeling that maybe there's a dryness in your life. Maybe you want to see a greater sense of overflow. Maybe you want to see God moving more. Maybe you want a deeper, closer relationship with Jesus. Come up. Let us pray with you. See, friends, when we lay hands on you, like every other external say sacrament of the church this there's no magic to this we are not the ones who confer grace we are simply a means of grace we do this in obedience to the word of God we lay hands we join with you in prayer and in faith and say Lord would you move would you do something wonderful in our lives
Are you ready for that? Rob mentioned that we've been meeting with some pastors from across the city. It's wonderful that so many different churches across the city, the pastors gather to meet and pray. And God's been doing something wonderful in our hearts. And that word that Rob shared right at the start from Tim Maxson of Fellowship of the Emirates, if you bring the posture, I'll bring my presence. What's the posture of your heart today? Are you ready to receive? Because God's ready to bring His presence. When can I hand over to you?